Welcome to another free first hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. I know we want to get into the action, but I have to ask that you help me armor us up a bit for the bumpy road ahead. Because I bring you the first hour of this show without unrelated ad nonsense as a proof of concept. And if you value it, then come over to THC Plus for the $8 a month and hear the full two-hour interviews as they were designed to be and as you would enjoy them most. Go to thehiresidechats.com or just click the link in the show notes to get started and within a minute you'll be plugging in your new Plus Show RSS feed into a hopefully decentralized podcasting 2.0 supported app. Feed the things you want to grow and starve the things that gotta go and we will reach the promised land. Think about that and enjoy the show. In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. Zippity doodah, higher side chatters coming in hot from sunny San Diego. I'm Greg Carlwood, and one of the biggest disconnects between most people and myself is their assumption that happenings in the news, shootings in the mall, trends in Hollywood films, and even the reasons they might keep working at a job they can't stand are random, organic, and unrelated to each other or the conspiratorial connectivity that I so frequently notice. Folks so rarely follow the money, ask who benefits, question the information they're presented with, or give a second thought to the environment in which they find themselves. Yet the layers of life where one should watch out for manipulation by a multitude of potential string pullers are vast. And the most effective weapons are ones that unsuspecting targets don't even consider existing. And many people do find themselves under attack by toys we're told aren't even real, From those sensitive to electromagnetic frequency and victims of gang stalking, to exotic crowd control techniques, and those who, every day, overlook just how severely social media is fucking with them. And of these domains we tend to assume are unmolested, none is so nonchalantly taken for granted as the weather and climate. And none is capable of wreaking more havoc, either. Are we truly on the trajectory they say we are? Is mankind and red meat really the problem? And if rain can be made, storms can be steered, and earthquakes can be activated, should we start looking at these sorts of events differently? Well, today's guest Jim Lee of ClimateViewer.com would be the guy to ask because he's an expert on weather warfare with over a decade of research on the history, present, and future of weather modification and climate engineering. All of Jim's research, websites, and social media can be reached on Climate Viewer News at climateviewer.com, and he is also the creator of Climate Viewer Maps on climateviewer.org, where you can monitor our world in real time on a 3D globe with over 600 unique maps and live feeds, an excellent resource you didn't even know you had. And let it be known that Jim has also archived the world's most comprehensive weather control timeline with hundreds of verified historical facts, images, and videos from 1800 to present on weathermodificationhistory.com. He certainly knows his stuff, so let's get into it. The weather weapon records keeper, sky watcher extraordinaire, and the guy who calls out the true climate changers, Jim Lee. Welcome to THC. Man, I'm feeling so high right now. I don't know what to do with myself, Greg. 
<laughs> That's what I like to hear, man. And I am so glad you agreed to do this because you seem to know about as much as a person can about weather warfare, the manipulation of weather patterns, storm steering, cloud seeding, and all the rest of it. And I would consider the people who truly know this space inside and out to be a pretty small club. What was it that really took you down this path? Was there one event or one thread that you pulled that really took you down this rabbit hole or something? Uh, certainly. Back in the day, I, I started mapping things. Obviously, you know, you mentioned climateviewer.org. And I was using Google Earth. And I had a very good reputation in the Google Earth community where I was mapping out things post-Fukushima like all 440 nuclear reactors, missile defense radars, lasers, oh my. <laughs> and, you know, this KML file, it's basically like all of the map dots in one file, was garnering tens of thousands of downloads. It was in the science section. And then one day I decided to include cloud seeding projects, weather modification activities. And when I put this map together and I included it in my bulk file, magically I was moved from the science section to the other sentient side, hmm. AKA the tinfoil hat section of the Google earth community. Right. And needless to say that lit a fire under my anus that's been burning for over a decade. <laughs> and it's been my goal ever since to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt to all the haters and naysayers, trolls beware. You don't want to come barking up this tree because I'll throw weathermodificationhistory.com back at you and go eat crow. That's kind of where we're at with that. Yes, and let's talk about the naysayers because I'm sure you still run into people who don't know the extent that weather modification and manipulation is possible, even though something like Project Popeye in Vietnam is very well established. The CIA didn't even tell anyone and went off to extend the monsoon season during the Vietnam War. And we see headlines about Dubai and China making it rain here and there. San Diego has this legendary story where the city hired Charles Hatfield in 1916 to make it rain. And it came down so hard the city wouldn't pay him because they didn't want to be liable for the damage it caused. But what are some points in the big weather manipulation timeline that you would point out to people who maybe still aren't aware of the extent that these technologies go? Well, for me, it's the overarching themes. Like, <laughs> my main goal is to kind of take a step back and... That was the purpose of the maps initially, was to be able to view the macro um, versus the micro. And when you really connect the dots, what you see, especially in the weather control slash climate change agenda, or what I like to call the climate changers, the actual individuals who've been manipulating the atmosphere for their benefit for over 100 years, without anybody ever knowing while claiming a completely different narrative in the public venues of the mainstream media and, and the like, you know, newspapers back in the day. And you go back to the 1800s and you see this pattern where for at least 50 years it was openly discussed, let's melt the poles. Why? Because oil and gas, possibly tourism and opening trading routes. 
And then somewhere around the JFK administration, there was this flip. There's this break between the oil tycoons and the science community saying, but wait, polar bears and shit. (laughs) (laughs) And that's really where the flip occurred. And there's a monumental piece that just kind of sticks out for me. And it was called Restoring the Quality of Our Environment. And this was presented to JFK, and in it, this is like where you really start to hear the first talks of geoengineering, of controlling global warming, to stop melting the polar ice caps. When you had 1889 Jules Verne talking about firing a cannon to tilt the axis of the earth to melt the poles, to Carol Livingston Riker talking about end of the iceberg menace to where two uh, Russian dudes were saying, Hey, let's put a metal ring in space to melt the poles. And then United States military went and did that with the Westford needles. They dumped 280 million dipole antennas, little pieces of metal in space to this day, still considered to be one of the most stupid experiments ever conducted. Mm-hmm. And then they said, well, why don't we atomize the Arctic? And you can look on Climate Viewer Maps and see 2,615 nuclear bombs exploded in our atmosphere above ground. And if you look at Russia, well, they atomized all of their Arctic. So you have to go, what is the big story behind this? Because on the one hand, you've got the same oil tycoons the fossil fuel industry that wants to melt the poles to this day. And then on the other hand, you've got people who are saying, but wait, global warming, we're all going to die in the next 10 minutes, five years. (laughs) You know, you see the juxtaposition of points of view. And that's what I keep trying to reiterate to people is there is this constant tug of war. And it's not like either opinion has changed much in the last century. The oil industry, the fossil fuel industry, still wants to melt the poles. The science community wants technocracy. They want control of your life, Mm -hmm. control of energy, control of all natural resources, including the number one natural resource on the planet, human resources. (laughs) So if the technocrats want to control your life, because of global warming, because polar bears and shit, and the oil industry wants to maintain its, you know, grip on energy, (laughs) which also maintains their grip on money. And the only way to really increase that now is to expand its ability to continue to garner all of these resources. The thing that you end up seeing at the end of the day is, what's called greenwashing. And that's where the old industries pretend to be green. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So what I've been seeing more and more, and to give you a real clear cut example, the chemtrail problem. And a lot of people talk to me about chemtrails and just recently did kind of a revision series of videos on youtube you can find me on youtube climate viewer that's all you gotta type in and i've been running this hashtag cirrus clouds matter (laughs) 
And during this, I think I did five videos about hour apiece, and I barely touched the surface of all of this. But the problem that I see is that they've identified the fact that the clouds that everybody's complaining about, whether you call it a chemtrail, a contrail, persistent contrail, spreading contrail, contrail-induced cirrus, aviation-induced cloudiness, I personally call them plane farts. Um, when the plane farts spread out and they block the sun, they create cirrus clouds. Well, those cirrus clouds work just like the clouds on the planet Venus. They trap heat and they permanently trap heat. So here's that tug of war we were talking about. You got the climate alarmist technocrats saying, but wait, these clouds are trapping heat. That's going to cause global warming. Greenland ice sheet melts more when it's cloudy. Google it. Mm -hmm. And then on the other hand, you've got the oil industry, which supplies the gas that goes in the jets that make the plane farts, that make the clouds, that melt the poles. Wait a minute. So let me get this straight. You don't want to melt the poles. So you're going to do it with biofuels now. You want to do jet biofuels for contrail control. But wait a minute. The oil guys are the ones who are going to make that the biofuel. And you can see it right now. Like, you know, all of the major oil companies, we're researching new algae-based fuels and, you know, chicken fat and camelina plant and all of these different ideas that they're coming up with for these jet biofuels or what they like to call alternative aviation fuel. Basically, it's the same thing as ethanol like they're putting in your car, you know. Hey, we're going to grow some corn. 10% of your gas is now corn. The problem I see is that they are greenwashing away this problem, but at the same time, their agenda is still clear. Melt the poles. The other people's agenda look climate-friendly maintain fear of global warming. So what I really see is the most damning thing of all is that the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, they say global warming's bad. We need to, this is quotes now, limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. Back in 1966, 1965, there was this weather and climate modification report. And in it, this is a National Science Foundation report. In it, it said stratospheric water vapor alone, just water vapor coming from planes, will raise the temperature of the planet by 1.6 degrees hmm. Celsius and would melt the poles. <laughs> wow. So they actually agree. Yes, and something else I learned from you in this realm is that even though blocking the sun or planes causing global warming sounds pretty epic, the airline industry has been sued for this very same thing before in 1970 by the states of Illinois and New Jersey, right? That's correct. And that was a real punch in the face for me. You know, I had been heavily debating what I would consider to be two of the worst groups of chemtrail debunking trolls on the internet, 
one being led by Mick West of Contrail Science slash Metabunk fame. He's been featured on National Geographic documentaries and everything in between, been on TV debunking the chemtrail conspiracy. And the other group is a Facebook group, which doesn't even deserve mentioning, but these guys literally gang stalk people. When I learned of this and I went to them, they went into complete denial mode. <laughs> like, this is not a thing. And I'm like, no, this is clearly a thing. I mean, here are the you know government records on it, and here are the newspaper articles. And yeah, they said that back in 1970, the chemtrail problem of planes making farts, making cirrus clouds, blocking out the sun, was called smoke pollution of the sky. And that when the state of Illinois and New Jersey sued the airline industry over it, the Secretary of Transportation, James A. Volt, actually tried to step in and settle it out of court. To this day, I'm still trying to find an attorney who will go through the court cases and find the original lawsuit so I can get a copy of that (laughs) for my vault. But regardless, I have enough documentation to prove, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you know, best of my ability, that this is a thing that occurred. And they said, of course, the airline industry has now agreed to change the install burner cans, burner cans, which is a redesigned combustor, which will limit carbon black dust emissions from jet airlines and their pollution will reduce particulate matter by 70% which should clear up the cloud problem. And those who forget the past are doomed to repeat it. That's the slogan on weathermodificationhistory.com. And you can't make this up. So then you flash forward to the access flights where they're actually testing these biofuels for contrail control. This is 2018. Now, they literally, it's on the NASA website, and you can read it, that jet biofuels will alleviate the contrail cirrus problem due to the fact that they burn more cleanly and will wait for it reduce particulate emissions by 70%. So I went to the EPA in Washington, D.C., and I actually made a hearing happen. Just, (laughs) you know, you say you got friends in low places. Some of my ex-hacker buddies said, hey, Jim, um, we found this text file on an EPA FTP server. And it says, if you want to have a hearing, please let us know. But the Obama administration suing the airline industry over greenhouse gas emissions to make the climatards happy. Hmm. And, of course, I was the only person in the entire world that wrote the EPA and said, I'd like to have a hearing. <laughs> and I got a call from senior policy analyst Lucy Audette or something like that. Anyway, full recording of the phone call. Absolutely hilarious. Sir, um, you know, you could just like um send it to us in writing. And that's just as good as, you know, if you were to come in and you could take as much time as you'd like. Well, I'd rather have a hearing. Oh well, you know, if you write us, you can write as much as you want, but if you come in, you'll be limited to only ten minutes worth of testimony. I want a hearing. So we go up there. 
I say my thing, do my thing. And of course, my 10 minutes were epic. I brought four of my chemtrail friends with me, and they all told their own different versions of it. My favorite was when Max Bliss literally did the mic drop at the end that we will not, you know, bow to your new world order. (laughs) (laughs) This is all being broadcast live on C-SPAN. When it was all said and done, this was right in the middle of the Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump election season. So September, 2015. And EPA came out and said, you know what? We are going to actually regulate the airline industry based on the clean air act. And immediately Obama got with the United Nations, the international civil aviation organization, the European Union and China to agree to this biofuel or what they call the Federal Alternative Aviation Fuel Emissions Pact Agreement, whatever. And then they basically forced the EPA to withdraw its entire lawsuit, no regulations. So it was July, EPA to limit greenhouse gases from airplanes. Six days later, White House releases Federal Alternative Jet Fuel Research and Development Strategy. September 3rd, 2016, China, U.S., and Europe pledge support for Global Aviation Emissions Pact. September 12th, 2016, Greens moved to dismiss EPA lawsuit over airplane emissions. So just like that, just like the 1970s, it's the second time in history, where the airline industry had the possibility of regulations being put on it or lawsuits brought against it for the crap they're spraying in our skies, and they avoided it again. And in my speech, I said, look, this biofuel idea is stupid. It will not work, and here's why. You can't make this up. There's a guy there who is from the Sierra Club. And for those who don't know, this is a non-governmental organization, you know, 501c3, nonprofit, Yankee Doodle Dandy dude with his little bow tie, thinking he's hot shit. And I said, what'd you think about the thing? I said, he said, excuse me. I said, the clouds, you know, I didn't say dumbass. You know, I held it back. I said, the cloud thing, the fact that clouds that the top scientists are saying that Clouds created by planes, they trap more heat than 5,000 times what CO2 does. That a single contrail created by a AWACS plane trapped more heat than all of the CO2 emitted since the start of aviation from all of the planes that ever flew. Damn. And the guy looked, and this is in my speech, you know, I'm quoting all these sources and going, why are we here today? Because Barack Obama wants to make all the technocrats from COP21, the Paris Accord, you know, which Trump canceled on day one, really made him mad. Why are we here at the EPA talking about greenhouse gases coming out of planes when the main problems that everybody should be concerned about and they should be held to account for is metal nanoparticles 
coming out of planes and clouds. Mm-hmm. Period. Back to Sierra Club weenie. What do you think about the clouds thing? He goes, oh, that? That's pure poppycock. <laughs> and then I couldn't help myself. And I said, if there weren't so many cameras around you right now, I'd pop you right in the cock. <laughs> You're an idiot. Wait for it. October 10, 2017. NGOs slam UN Aviation Agency plan for biofuels. Hmm. Because it turns out everything I said was right. And the joke I made for the longest time was that I said, you know, it's August 2015. It'll be three years before anybody really figures out what the hell I even said in there. And I was proven right time and time again by major scientists and major reports, peer-reviewed articles that were basically confirming everything I had said in that hearing. Does it matter? No, because of all of the money involved and the fact that despite, you know, what all the globalists say about wanting to save the polar bears and shit, nobody's going to touch those planes and those planes are melting the Arctic. It's not you. It's not the cow farts. It's not your cars. It's big ships bringing tons of crap from China that are all parked off of LA right now. They can't even get into the Bay and, you know, unload their stuff because COVID. Oh, because China, we won't get into that. But those ships, they make these things called ship tracks, which are basically chemtrails on steroids. They make Marine stratocumulus clouds that basically cover the entire Pacific ocean where the chemtrail over your house may be, five, 10 miles wide. We're talking about these super tanker ships that are carrying like several football fields long. They're making these ship tracks that are sometimes 50, a hundred miles wide and then several thousand miles long. Right. You've said that seven super tankers that transport this plastic shit from China to Walmart produce more CO2 than all the cars on the planet. Just seven of these super Just seven. tankers. That's right. Like I said to, you know, <laughs> a particular smart ass global warming alarmist. Well, if you got a problem with CO2, why don't you just go sink those uh, seven ships to the bottom of the ocean, create some artificial reefs, and we'll call it a day. <laughs> but nobody's talking about that. So that's why, you know, I think that, a lot of this stuff gets lost in the weeds and chemtrails is like the poster child for all of this, where it's right in your face. Everybody sees it. They're aggravated. Why? Because sunlight, sunlight, good. We like sunlight. Hell, the plants love it. Plants love CO2 also. So this isn't making a lot of sense. If you really want to get to where we're in a world with renewable energy and solar energy, How do you do that while blocking out the sun? And wait a minute. Oh, wait. The guys who make the jet fuel that want to melt the Arctic to get the more oil and gas also create the jet fuel that makes the clouds that blocks the solar energy. There's another little dot you can connect and go, yeah, there's a lot more going on here than people are really talking about. Right. It's all like competition, attacking competition. Yeah. So at the end of the day, You know, this is ecological warfare mixed with some economic warfare. 
And the two are pretty much entwined. Perfect example, 1969 CIA doing cloud seeding in the Gulf of Mexico to basically do a rain embargo on Cuba. And the idea was to wash all of the water out of the sky before it reached the sugar crops in Cuba so that Castro's sugar crops would die because that was his main moneymaker. That's ecological warfare and economic warfare through weather warfare. To think that that sort of thing isn't going on today is to be naive, to put it nicely. Yes, and let's talk about what's going on today because I wanted to touch on the droughts and the fires that we have on the West Coast. I've been pretty critical because I know there are ways to make it rain and they don't use them. And the government is always waving the finger and telling people to cut back, but you can drive by these huge big ag farms along the highway. They go for a mile and they're just spraying water all over the place, running down the highway, no indication of any kind of conservation at all. So I've put a lot of the waste on big ag, growing almonds in a desert, or Nestle stealing spring water and bottling it and selling it. But I heard you bring up fracking as a major water waster too. Can you talk to us about that a little bit and any other man-made things that you see being the bigger contributors to the West Coast's current problems that they say are just natural effects of climate change? Well, of course, you have to consider the fact that the average fracking well uses 6 million gallons average of water. And that's per day in some cases. And then releases, you know, what they call fugitive emissions. The 30 to 40% of the methane goes straight to the atmosphere. Some of it's burned off. But still, methane supposedly, allegedly, 10 times the greenhouse effect of CO2. So you'd think you'd be more concerned about that. They're not that concerned about that in California. But at the same time, you have to understand that my first big aha moment was with the maps. And the reason why I created Climate Viewer 3D, the Climate Viewer Maps, was so that I could literally connect the dots, you know, visually. Some people are visual learners. I can read anything and remember it, but a picture's worth a thousand words. A map's worth a couple million. So what I noticed, and it just shocked me, was that when I was mapping out all the fracking wells in America, they're pretty much on the West Coast, and they're pretty much west of the Mississippi. And then I was looking at the U.S. Drought Monitor, which is a live feed from the U.S. Geological Survey. And I noticed that, wait, the drought seems to all be where the fracking wells are, where all these hydraulic fracturing wells are. Huh, that's a coincidence. And then I turned on another map layer, and it was Operational Cloud Seeding Projects, 2004 through 2012. Well, I'll be damned. They're all in the same place. That's when I really started to realize that the demand for water in the West Coast is so high, and there's so few natural sources of water 
in the West Coast, aside from the mountains, you know. There should be rain coming in, but there's not rain coming in. Why? Because mainly the ships. We'll get into that in just a second, but they just throw climate change at any problem. They just say, oh, because climate change, because, you know, polar bears and shit and cow farts and shit. But at the end of the day, the fracking industry isn't held to account for, you know, their water use, let alone the fact that they create radioactive waste. Have you ever heard of dirty socks? No. Uh, everybody who's listening to this, go look it up. Fracking dirty socks. Basically, it's just, you know, the wadding you would stuff into an old black powder rifle. Well, anyway, that wadding, whenever they go to compress and fracture the ground, it traps a whole lot of radioactive waste whenever it comes back out. And then they don't know what to do with them. So literally, I read a paper, uh, it was like a news you know, blurb somewhere, hundreds of pounds of radioactive dirty socks found behind gas station bathroom dumped. Just a funny little side note about the nastiness of the industry. The other one would be Silicon Valley, <laughs> believe it or not. And I take this from the Utah data center that the NSA uh, has codenamed Bumble Hive. It's basically where the NSA stores you know, this conversation and every digital transaction on the planet, whether it be phone calls, emails, texts, your social media, anything you do. They have this huge server farm in Utah. And it was using several millions of gallons of water per day to cool all of the servers. Mm. So much water that the local counties were about to protest by cutting off the water to the facility because the federal government wouldn't pay for the water. And all this is really highlighted by some reports that have pretty much been deleted from the internet. I still have copies of all the original maps, but it was called Water 2025. And it had like these areas of conflict in 2025 where conflict is highly likely due to water. And we were talking like Mad Max kind of stuff where people are literally fighting over water. And then you see that there have been numerous cases where in California, aqueducts have completely dried up. Have you heard of these? Oh, yeah. Reservoirs, aqueducts. We're hearing it all the time on the local news. So people can't even drill. And, you know, they're, well, let's drill another 100 meters down. There's no water down there, sir. We don't know where it went. And these dry counties are popping up all across the West Coast. So you have all of these different factors. Overuse of water not enough production of water. Well, now we got to pay somebody to make it rain or make fake snow, snowpack augmentation, as they call it. And they do that with orographic cloud seeding, these ground-based cloud seeding generators. If you're in Sacramento, for example, the Sacramento Municipal Utility District, SMUD, if you pay your water bill, <laughs> SMUD actually takes that money and one contract for cloud seeding, I think it was for a three-year period, was $997,000 that they're paying somebody to make it rain. 
and I could bring the reports up, but I don't want to get bogged down. Let's just say it's like North American Weather Consultants or Weather Modification Incorporated, or there are many companies. All of these are listed on weathermodificationhistory.com. You just click on people. You can get their names and addresses. Regardless, <laughs> there's this cycle where you see water districts, local municipalities funding weather modification because they can't keep their reservoirs full. And simultaneously, they aren't able to produce enough rain because cloud seeding, though it was invented in 1946, is completely unpredictable because the climate is chaotic and nobody can actually control the weather. So that's why they never really say weather control. Now, back in the olden days, if you go in the weathermodificationhistory.com and click on newspapers, you can see newspaper articles from the mid-1800s to present. And weather control was used all the time. <laughs> that was, you know, just a typical, I mean, that's the most basic thing somebody would say. You know, who controls the weather? You know, we're going to do weather control. Weather control with electrified sand. You know, all these newspaper article titles. But now they just say weather modification, climate engineering, climate modification. Geoengineering wasn't good enough. They called it climate engineering. Then they said, ah, oh, you still got that engineering word in there. You know, you, if you engineer a car, everybody knows cars break down. You don't want to break the climate. So let's call it something else. Let's call it climate intervention. Okay, now we're intervening in the climate, or it's more like, the climate has a crack problem. We have to have an intervention. Um, so it's climate intervention. Now, literally in the last like year or two, they're trying to swing the pendulum again and call it climate restoration. Ah. So we've come from geoengineering to climate engineering, to climate intervention, to climate restoration. We've gotten so far from just the fact that you're trying to control the weather. Yeah. It's attempted control of the weather. Weather warfare, same thing. You don't know what your results are going to be, but if you can do enough of it, then you can make a big impact. And they don't care if it's chaotic. Although you prefer, you know, precision-guided, laser-guided, paveway-smart bomb, we'll just, you know, cluster bombs will work. <laughs> <laughs> right on. And, man, this is kind of a switching of the gears, but an adjacent subject I've heard you talk about is natural cycles when it comes to weather, space weather, solar cycles, and even the moon. I heard you talk about this on Quite Frankly and the idea that not only are we affected by these cycles, but that they actually plan events around them for when we might be most irritated as a population or susceptible to panic. And this is something you've looked at pretty deeply, isn't it? Yeah. You always have to look for the alternative explanation. If you just take everything at face value, for instance, if you believe me today, you're an idiot. Listen to what I'm saying. Realize I'm 44 years old. I've been studying this for a decade and I have more questions than answers. But at the same time, I keep looking for the what if. What if I'm wrong about this? What if there's something more to it? What is the real story? What is the ultimate truth of all of this? And then you keep digging deeper 
And you realize the further you look back, the more it makes sense today. And, you know, things like the ancient Babylonians and Sumerians referred to as the music of the spheres. That basically terrestrial bodies have this resonance. Those who don't know, my nickname is Resonated, R-E-Z-N-8-D. Has been for 27 years on the internet. So if you go anywhere on the internet and you see R-E-Z-N-8-D, by the way, that's me. Somehow there's this resonant force between terrestrial bodies that interacts, whether it be human bodies, heavenly bodies, planets, stars. There's this magic vibration that's occurring. We don't fully understand it, but we know that when the stars align, this happens. They call it the music of the spheres. This was rebranded during the Renaissance period as Musica Universalis. Same idea, different name. And then, at the height of my conspiratorial days, before I really had a brain, we're going to say circa 2008, (laughs) I was more inclined to believe just about everything. You know, like, I was one of those people like, oh man, did you hear? You know, and just would run with it. Because I was more curious than cautious. You know, once bitten, twice shy. Mm -hmm. Fool me once. That sort of thing. Won't get fooled again. Yeah. So this comic came around called Elenin. I don't know if you recall that one. Mm -mm. But anyway. So Elenin was C-2010X. And it was this comet that was supposed to come in from outside our solar system. And at the exact moment that it passed between the Earth and the Sun, that there would be this solar kill shot. Ooh. I said, damn, that's crazy. <laughs> Where's this coming from? And it was this guy named Mansur Omer Bashish, or as he likes to call himself, the actual crown prince of Croatia. Side note, CEO of one of the businesses I worked for came from Croatia. After I studied all this, I'm like, you ever heard of this guy? He's like, everybody thinks he's bad shit crazy back home. <laughs> <laughs> But if you get into his documents and stuff, now he's got some peer-reviewed stuff that he put out there, but basically he put out this paper called Magnitude 6 Plus Earthquakes Occur When Astral Alignments with This Comet Elenin. So basically he was making the argument that whenever Jupiter, Elenin, and the Earth, or Uranus, Elenin, the Sun, and Earth, line up going to be a magnitude six or greater earthquake on the planet and i'm immediately going wait a minute this is like that music of the spheres thing got to be some truth to this start digging into it and the thing is like i started believing the panic i was watching the youtube videos i was listening to podcasts like damn there's all these people you know and so much science got to be true got to be true literally have my wife you know going you need to either leave this alone or just cut the computer off because you're scaring the hell out of me. And I mean, other very big YouTubers, I'm talking 200 plus thousand, 500,000 subscribers, screaming bloody murder, the whole world's going to end. And then it was like September 28th or something like that. It finally swinged through. The president's flown out to Colorado to the secret underground bunker, you know, under the airport. And, you're going, man, that's really coincidental. You know, he's 
actually at the underground, deep underground military base under the airport there, you know, the one with the big <laughs> zombie uh, horse. Yeah, zombie horse. Thank you. The nightmare <laughs> horse, <laughs> you know, with all those New World Order paintings. Anyway, so I'm freaking out, you know, totally freaking out. And of course, nothing happened. Now, the guy to this day he still has a website called Sizemo.info or something like that. I'm curious, actually, right now if it's still alive. But it is. Sizemo.info is still there. And, you know, he basically was saying, well, you know, you're all going to die because of this tiny little comet. And I'm going, you know, the reason why the music of the spheres actually makes sense is because of the density of these objects. And they're ability to create magnetic fields and that's where the resonance actually comes in so how's this little block of ice and rock doing this and this is all after the event i'm going how could somebody as smart as me get played so hard because <laughs> of course you know your ego is bruised now and you're going how why no not me but as Carl Sagan said it, and he said it best, one of the saddest lessons of history is this. If we've been bamboozled long enough, we tend to reject any evidence of the bamboozle. We're no longer interested in finding out the truth. The bamboozle has captured us. It's simply too painful to acknowledge, even to ourselves, that we've been taken. Once you give a charlatan power over you, you almost never get it back. Mm. Very relevant to many things going on today. It really is. So <laughs> kind of like uh, yeah, I was listening to the radio the other day and this really stuck with me, cracked me up because it said, I was a young lawyer fighting this case, you know, and I'm go up to the Supreme Court justice. And I said, you know, justice, I'm having so much trouble with this. He says, the problem is you're dealing with people who already have their minds made up. Why confuse them with facts? <laughs> And that's really where we're at with this. So I'm looking at this whole, you know, Seismo info I'm afterwards, you know, doing a breakdown of how did I get here and why and all of this? Because there's got to be truth still to this whole heavenly bodies affecting things on this planet, the moon affecting stuff. But how did I get sucked into the conspiracy? And then I learned about slave speak. And I learned to recognize the language that actually maintains the master-slave relationship. The actual language of conspirators, mm -hmm. <laughs> as I like to say it occasionally. And I realized, damn, that's me. Like, I've been literally listening to all this stuff, but I never really heard the manipulations. And once I learned that, you know, I had to go back and basically deleted 300 articles I'd written. Mm. And that was painful yeah. <laughs> because you realize that and I don't think a lot of people would probably even do that. But for me, like there's a point of pride to being right. And of course everybody wants to be right, but then to admit to yourself that you've been wrong and that you've so poisoned the work that you've been doing that you probably should just start over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's going to happen in so many areas, and it takes a person of integrity to correct the record like that. But I also wanted to ask you about solar cycles and even the moon, because I heard you mention that in Business Insider, they talked about 
a four-week cycle of hormones produced in your brain caused by the moon. A week where you're more social, one where you want to sleep, one where you're very productive, and then one where you're highly agitated, which is at the time of the full moon. And solar cycles, of course, are longer arcs, and they, I guess, the important peak of it comes around really at the beginning of every decade. And we had Y2K and 9-11, then... In 2011, climate change alarmism was really introduced. So it's like they put something out there when we're most likely to get swept up by it. And then, of course, the beginning of this decade, we have COVID. Hysteria has run wild. And I thought that was really interesting. If you have this data of, well, when are our agendas most likely to work? When are people least guarded against fear and panic? And then you implement them in those windows. I mean, I've had people say that the occult and magic and spells is all just a probability enhancer. Well, this is a giant cosmic probability enhancer for conspiratorial campaigns. Exactly. And I think that they really do capitalize it. As one particular jerk said, never let a good catastrophe go to waste. Yeah. You know, the solar cycle is obviously a grander cycle than the rapidly cycling moon but the moon thing you know you go back to just slave speak and you know etymology understanding where the words came from because it's luna or lunatic (laughs) the idea that we're all lunatics that we are water we rise and we fall like the tides so if we're like 60 percent water why is it not common sense that If the moon can affect the entire ocean, then it can affect us. Then I start looking into all of this stuff and I'm reading, you know, peer reviewed journals, obviously at first, but then to see it in Business Insider and realize that Fortune 500 companies are now recognizing these patterns in humans. You can go into any hospital birthing ward and say, are there a lot of babies born around the time of a full moon? I'm like, yep. <laughs> so clearly there are a lot of things outside of our control that are affecting us that we really have very little understanding of, at least consciously. I think subconsciously, most people recognize this stuff. And then when you tell it to them, it resonates with them. They feel it in their gut and they go, Uh, yeah, you're probably telling me the truth. But with the solar cycle, I think that that's really the one that they capitalize on most because, of course, you know, screwing with people monthly, hey, you know, that's a daily occurrence. (laughs) But this whole idea that that was put out by Andrew Shizvesky was called Sunspots and Mass Excitability. And he proposed that during the solar cycles or the 11-year cycle, there would be four major periods. A three-year period of minimum activity characterized by passivity and autocratic rule. A two-year period during which the masses begin to organize under new leaders and one theme a three-year period of maximum excitability, revolution, and war, followed by a three-year period of gradual decrease in excitability until the masses are apathetic. 
Hmm. And then you look at the last solar peak was right about the time I was losing my freaking gourd over, (laughs) you know, everybody's like freaking out over these comets of doom. (laughs) And I go, okay. Yeah. And that's when I was, you know, hanging out with anonymous and the Arab spring happened. Shit was really popping off. And then you look back and you kind of do like a, you know, another posthumous breakdown of the past and you go, well, you know, there was that, you know, Mass excitability during that time. There was a bunch of revolution. Then it kind of, you know, people started to generally not care as much. And then I'm looking at my wife going, you know, we've got like another three years before people are going to really actually be excited and caring about all this stuff and ready for a change. It's going to be right around 2025. It's going to be popping. (laughs) And you can clearly look at this as a person who, runs websites and looks at my Google analytics, you know, from my YouTube videos, you do see that people have generally their give a fuck meter kind of just petered off <laughs> <laughs> and they've all gone back to watching sports or Netflix or just not as interested in the cause. And that's a great time for, if you're say a, technocrat that wants to change the world and implement all kinds of crazy stuff because people are very passive so passive they might i don't know mask up take a bunch of vaccines agree to socialism take a free check from the government get paid more to not work than work agree to lock themselves in their own houses yeah i mean there's a lot going on right now and then you look at these cycles and you say well, did they see it coming? And then you also recognize that, again, back to the same theory that's going on here, that during solar minimums, there's times when we have great plagues. It's a great time to release a virus right now. There's so much that plays into this, and it also plays in with the weather, that during a solar minimum, the ionosphere is weaker. So. Because the sun charges up our shield, our force field, if you will, for all of those galactic cosmic rays raining down on us, we actually have increased cloud production. We have more clouds. The reason why is because to create a cloud, you need three things. You need some kind of cloud seed, a speck of dust, mold, bacteria, silver iodide in the case of cloud seeding done by man. They use dry ice and urea, fertilizer, eel, pee, pee pee, all kinds of things. So you need a cloud seed. You need water vapor to stick to that cloud seed. Well, how do I get the water vapor to stick to the cloud seed? Ionization, galactic cosmic rays, static electricity. So galactic cosmic rays are basically, you know, energy coming from space, raining down on us constantly, all kinds of different forms of it. But regardless, when our shields are down, more clouds are created, and we have more intense, longer-lasting, more severe hurricanes. Mm. Of course, the people that control the weather, especially ones who would want to wage weather warfare, are fully aware of this. Yes. Wow, man. (laughs) It's important for people to know about these things. I don't know. 
to which degree they're going to actually prepare. People tend to listen to stuff like this and they're like, well, I'll just do it tomorrow. And then the crisis happens and you can't really make up for that lost time. Knowing how to make a bow and shoot it doesn't happen overnight. And all these issues, it's just, I feel so underprepared and I just feel like I've been a house cat my whole life, never did the Boy Scouts thing. And now I'm just like a sitting duck. <laughs> well, I'm going to put it to you like this. My 12-year-old daughter is already in mixed martial arts. She already has her orange belt and is throwing around the boys in the class that have brown belts and black belts I mean, whipping their ass. I told her she could date whenever she could kick my ass, which ain't <laughs> ever happening. So she's going to have to move out. But regardless, I think it's incumbent on everybody to be able to protect yourself, whether it's unarmed or armed, that you know how to at least purify water and gather. Be a hunter-gatherer. You may suck at hunting, but at least know how to gather. Buy a book on foraging. I mean, this is something that's like the most basic survival step you can take. Know what edible shit is growing around where you live. Because trust me, if the deers can live out in the woods, you can too. And at least you can take a lot of the stress away in knowing that you're prepared. Because I believe that a lot of people are addicted to fear. That's why it's called fear porn. And I think that a lot of people, and unfortunately, some of this audience may just be listening to this because it gets that thrill up their leg, you know, to be scared of all the things that we're talking about. But like the Environmental Modification Accountability Act, I believe that people who tell you these things but don't give you a pragmatic solution to the problem or at least propose one or have at least thought about it <laughs> and bring up the fact that they don't know what the solution is. They're just selling you fear. And I don't want to be part of the problem. There's enough fear, uncertainty, and doubt for everybody, you know, already everywhere. That's how, hey, you don't want her to look prettier than you do you buy her makeup. Uh, you know, you don't want to be fat. But these, these will make you less fat. You know, everybody's trying to scare everybody about all the things. Mm -hmm. And though the things that we talked about today, some of them scare me. I feel better about it because, A, I know that I'm trying to be part of the solution. I'm trying to wake the public up to these issues. I don't have all the answers. I don't expect you to take my word for it. I do appreciate every person in the last decade who has corrected me. <laughs> and I recognize that I am not infallible. So I think as long as people keep that idea about it, that don't trust even people like me, do it for yourself. That's why I made all of this open source and freely available. So that one day I'm going to leave this earth. My daughter knows more about plane farts than 95% of the people who talk about it on YouTube. Mm. <laughs> and that's where I start my education first, is that I look at the past and I say, how did people win in the past? And, you know, the story is always the same. Well, it took more than, you know, a generation or two 
to affect real change. So I, do I expect to end weather warfare <laughs> in my lifetime? It'd be nice. Yeah. But if I, I can at least light that fire and somebody else comes along and picks up the torch when my light goes out and then they take it across the finish line, damn right, I'll, I'll be perfectly fine with that. In the meantime, I'm going to busy myself by learning as much as possible and making it relatable and understandable to people in the public because it's something I'm passionate about. You're passionate about what you do, and I appreciate what you do. Mm. That's why I said, you know, I'm down with OPP because I like going on other people's podcasts. <laughs> I was listening to a couple of your shows today. To be quite honest with you, I'd never heard of you like three months ago, and somebody's like, you should call on Greg's show. I was like, holy crap, you have a huge audience. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, you know, it was just like the same thing with Sam Tripoli. You know, like I went on Tenfold Hat. And I'd never heard of him either. And then I listened to two and a half hours of flat earth debate, just giggling my ass <laughs> off. That's why I really enjoy this is like, I'm meeting more people who have interesting minds, who have interesting conversations with people who are not your average bears. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate what you do and giving me this platform and this time to just talk about it. And clearly I really appreciate the fact that you've done so much homework. <laughs> I've been on many a show where it was clear to me that the host didn't know the first damn thing about anything I'd ever done before yes. in my life. I appreciate that. A lot of other hosts make my job easy and the internet is a big place. I'm glad we found each other. We didn't even talk about the ancient ruins map that you have on the site, the Havana syndrome, frequency and resonance, and how dangerous that can be. So much interesting stuff you've talked about. Uh, but I'm scared enough for, for one day. And <laughs> you have offered some great advice as to how to deal with it. A real public service. And knowledge is power, but only if you use that knowledge. So we got step one. We know what might be coming. Now it's up to people to actually take the remaining time between now and then and really do something about it. But man, it can get dense and dark and the times are challenging. But as we're putting a bow around this here interview, I guess let the people know about your websites again and what they'll find there, the YouTube, all that good stuff. Well, yeah, like I said, you know, my solution to this is at climateviewer.com slash nmod, E-N-M-O-D. And climateviewer.com is my blog. It's my central hub. It basically links to all of my other things. It's where I've written these lengthy articles, which I'm about to delete again. I'm in the process of making weathermodificationhistory.com 2.0. Right now, I have seven timeline entries to go, and every single... 153 timeline entries from 1800 to present will be an MLA format referenced. So they all hit Google scholar and it's all been updated. There's no broken links or anything with a bunch of updated photos and all of this stuff and a brand new interface, all that. So I'm going to do the same thing to climateviewer.com, which is my blog. Weathermodificationhistory.com is a reference material site that does not have my opinions on it. That's why I separated it. So it's all facts, no opinions, just references, 
stuff that you can literally shove in anybody's face and say, suck it. You know, if it's a <laughs> troll that you've been dealing with forever and you really want to stick it to them, weathermodificationhistory.com got you covered. And then climateviewer.org is going to be last on my list to update because it's going to be the toughest because programming a 3D globe and then making 660 maps, which have over 13 million dot points. And then in addition to that, you know, about 250 of those links are live links to external sources like NOAA, the USGS, and EU METSAT and all that. I'm going to go find out what new sensors are out there and bring them all into Climate Viewer 3D as well so we can do some more climate monitoring. Hell, maybe one day I'll actually catch somebody doing some damn weather warfare live on YouTube, which is why I really invented the thing to begin with. And everything I do, you know, I do it free of charge. So I, I basically take donations on Patreon at patreon.com slash climate viewer. And you can find me on YouTube at Jim Lee Climate Viewer. So just type climate viewer in, you'll see me. And I typically do a couple videos during the week and try to take the weekends off. But thinking about doing a radio show like on the weekend. So the more the merrier. But I'd much rather be doing OPP because. Conversations like this are rare and talking to yourself all the time gets really weird. Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> Man. Well, cheers to all that, Jim. It has been a pleasure. You're the king of climate manipulation information, and I hope you get a lot of good feedback and followers from this. I can't think of a subject more worthy of keeping your finger on the pulse of. So hopefully people respond and hopefully we can do it again sometime. But in the meantime, take care, man. I appreciate it, Greg. And I, I end everything I do with a pretty simple saying. With information comes power, and with power comes great responsibility. So please take the information that Greg and I have been able to share with you today to attack ideas, not people. Amen. I like it. Cool, man. Well, it has been a real pleasure. Enjoy the rest of the day if you can. Oh, I got a busy day of programming ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it, Greg. I appreciate you. Rock me like a remote-controlled hurricane, people. The man, the myth, the legend, climate viewer extraordinaire, Jim Lee. Uh, this was an interview where I just walked out of my office and felt very vulnerable. My special lady had to uh, talk me down a bit, let's say. But these are big, important things to be aware of, even if they're sometimes hard to act on immediately. Because for a lot of people, it would mean reorganizing their entire lives around fortifying themselves against these things. This is also an episode I recorded in October so that I could be ahead and keep the episodes coming with all the stuff I got going on. And it's not ideal to hear an older conversation, but it's better than a gap or taking a paternity leave month or something like that. But my thought here was that I don't want to just keep hammering the current agenda. But there's a lot of talk now about how these lockdowns and movement monitoring and limitations and all that good stuff that's being justified by COVID will be flexed over to be justified by climate change. So let's not keep harping on the last big lie. Let's get ahead of the next one a little bit. And Jim is exactly the kind of guest I love, very knowledgeable about his wheelhouse, but also not so serious that he can't pepper in a few good laughs along the way. 
I think we're similar people in that regard. And I think it makes for an informative interview that's also entertaining to listen to and not completely panic-inducing with a doom-and-gloom tone. Although I do find it to be one of the more heart-rate-raising episodes we've had in a while, it is frustrating to me to know that the weather weapon technology is there, but not be able to 100% know when it's being used. It also makes it a genius technology. They can just turn up the dial, scare people into complying with a bunch of new restrictions, and people like me are going to look insane when we try to tell other people that these weather events are manipulated. If we thought the COVID narrative was hard to win people over on, the climate change one seems even more difficult. But if you want a full picture of the road ahead and the stages and the layers that are to be expected, I would go back to the last show with Gordon because it's all laid out really well there too. And this was great. I hope Jim becomes one of those guys we check in with every so often because he knows so much and there's a lot of stuff I had notes on that we didn't even get to. Next time, I guess. But in higher side news, speaking of a lot of people being difficult to reach, and maybe we should just stick with people who are already on our page, HiresideMeetups.com is alive. I know I put out that announcement yesterday, and plus people had a hard time listening to it. It wasn't playing right, and that is my bad. I forgot how crucial it is for the free and plus episode files to have a different file name. And so I had to add plus to the end of it and re-upload it, and it's available now. Some are telling me it's still not there, but it is. They just need to let their feeds refresh or clear their browser cache. I've done all I can on my end to make it work, I assure you. I've tested it on my computer and on two phones. It's there. But long story short, Aaron from Colorado volunteered to help me get a meetup site up and running sooner than I was going to be able to do it on my own. And I hope People aren't shy about setting up small gatherings at bars and restaurants in their area to meet other THC fans. So far, we have two meetups on the calendar. A picnic at Victor Aves Park in Orwa, New Zealand, this Saturday, November 13th. Now, I did say on the meetup making guide page that it's best to give at least 30 days heads up because events need to get approved and then you have to give people time to check the calendar and give me time to mention these events on the air. But if you're in New Zealand, there is a picnic going down this Saturday, November 13th for THC fans. Which is a big one because people in New Zealand are clearly itching for some sanity and I hope they can get together on this one. And then Saturday, December 4th in Horror, Sweden, you guys are not making the pronunciations easy for me, but we have one at a pub where the event creator Gavin says there are four of us here who listen to THC every week and we will be showing up for this, so I know we have at least four people. Will you be joining us to navigate this vast conspiracy over a few beers? There's a little English-style pub at the venue. Turn left when you enter through the reception. Michael, the concierge, is on our page and knows we are going to be there. So that is awesome. That is exactly the way I would do it. Get a couple of buddies and plan to hang out at a certain place and just throw it on the THC calendar and see if you can get some more folks to show up. I mentioned an RSVP system in the announcement and there will be that, but it is not quite enabled yet. It should be in the next couple of days. 
I'll probably create a rolling event in San Diego and hit up a different brewery every month. There are over 140 microbrews and tasting rooms in San Diego, so let's start working through them, huh? But this is just something I wanted to do for you guys, really. It felt super important in these times, and it doesn't take much for me to make approving events part of my daily routine with checking the inbox. I like to see the higher side chats have a positive effect in people's lives and attempts to make robust digital communities have been hit or miss. But real world connections are where it's at anyway. Feel free to record a shout out or something too at these events and I can plug them into the joint sessions. I also mentioned some website upgrades built around making everything as simple and user friendly as it can be for mobile, which is where most people are listening to podcasts. And we have a few pretty awesome components to that that are going to be rolling out. Be patient as we tweak things this week. But the biggest thing, the on-site player, is complete, and it's great. The number one thing people would want to do on the site is play episodes. And this is a bigger deal for Plus people because they have the comments section, and not every podcast player app handles password-protected content well, although plenty of them do. I wanted to rework our website completely focused on the mobile experience and having it mirror an app-like experience. So now when you pull up any episode in your mobile browser, it is super clean. The player is redesigned for one-handed, thumb-friendly navigation with big buttons, 15-second rewind if you didn't catch a name or a reference, and a 30-second fast-forward if you want to get through certain sections or the intro music quickly. And a play speed button, too, for those who find Ross Ben to be too slow of a speaker. Honestly, I just love this player. It couldn't be more perfect for the situation. And it's all in the interest of controlling our own content and not needing Apple or Google if the shit were to hit the fan. So check that out. It also continues to play when your screen is turned off, which is another important piece of the podcast player puzzle. Shout out to the THC Tech team for doing such a great job on that. As always with this show, the best experience around here is the Higher Side Chats Plus. You get the full two hours, forum access, access to commenting with other Plus members, the THC music to download, and you help me keep the train on the tracks. This week with Jim, we talked about signs of weather manipulation, how America caused and solved the Dust Bowl problem, What scares Jim the most? Power grid vulnerabilities, vulnerabilities at the home level, the year 2025, and the scary situation with termination shock. So Jim is great at what he does. Much respect. We are lucky to have him. And big thanks to you guys for sticking with me. I try to bring you the best interviews I am capable of. And I hope that the first hour proves that point and you sign up for the full show because you like it, and you trust me to keep them coming. But I'm going to call it in. Best of luck to all you guys. Hiresidemeetups.com to find your new friends, and climateviewer.com to dig deeper into Jim's work and the things we talked about today. So I've done my part. Your move, climate controllers, weather weapon operators, and big agenda pushers. Your fucking Maybe you'll see goddamn this plan no fan spraying on me cronies don't you know they control the weather
Don't you know?